In this episode, I'm going to be reading chapter the first of What Katie Did Next, The Unexpected Guest. Chapter the first, The Unexpected Guest. The September sun was glinting cheerfully into a pretty bedroom furnished with blue. It danced on the glossy hair and bright eyes of two girls who sat together hemming ruffles for a white muslin dress. The half-finished skirt of the dress lay on the bed and as each crisp ruffle was completed, the girls added it to the snowy heap, which looked like a drift of transparent clouds or a pile of foamy white of egg beaten stiff enough to stand alone. These girls were Clover and Elsie Carr, and it was Clover's first evening dress for which they were hemming ruffles. It was more than three years since Clover and Katie had returned home from the boarding school at Hillsover. Clover was now 18. She was a very small Clover still, but it, it would have been hard to find anywhere a prettier little maiden than she had grown to be. Her skin was so exquisitely fair that her arms and wrists and shoulders seemed cut out of daisies or white rose leaves. Her thick brown hair waved and coiled gracefully about her head. Her smile was peculiarly sweet and the eyes, always Clover's chief beauty, had still that pathetic look which made them irresistible to tender-hearted people. Elsie, who adored Clover, considered her as beautiful as girls in books and was proud to be permitted to hem ruffles for the dress in which she was to burst upon the world. Though, as for that, not much bursting was possible in Brunette, where tea parties of a middle-aged description and now and then a mild little dance represented gaiety and society. Girls came out by slow degrees and gradual approaches with no particular one moment which could be fixed upon as having been the crisis of joy events. There, said Elsie, adding another ruffle to the pile on the bed. There's the fifth one. It's gonna be ever so pretty, I think. I'm glad you had it all white. It's a great deal nicer. 
Sassy, try to persuade me to get a long spray of pink roses for the skirt, said Clover. I'm so glad you didn't. Sassy was always crazy about pink roses. I only wonder she didn't wear them when she was married. Yes, the excellent Sassy, who, at thirteen, had announced her intention to devote her whole life to teaching Sunday school, visiting the poor, and setting a good example to her family, had actually forgotten these fine resolutions, and before she was twenty, had become the wife. Of Sylvester Slack, a young lawyer in a neighboring town. Sassy's wedding had been the great excitement of the preceding year in Burnett, and a fresh excitement had come since, in the shape of Sassy's baby, now about two months old, and named Catherine Clover. After her two friends, Johnny, at the time we write of, was making her a week's visit. She was rather wedded to them," went on Clover, pursuing the subject of the pink roses. She was almost vexed when I wouldn't buy the spray, but it cost lots, and I didn't want it. In the least, so I stood firm. Besides, I always said that my first party dress should be plain white. Girls in novels always wear white to their first balls, and fresh flowers are a great deal prettier anyway than artificial. Katie says she'll give me some violets to wear. Oh, will she? That will be lovely," cried the adoring Elsie. "Violets look just like you somehow." Just then, the noise of someone running upstairs quickly made the sisters look up from their work. Another moment, the door opened, and Katie dashed in, calling out, "Papa!" Elsie Clover, where is Papa? He went over the river to see the son of Mister White's, who broke his leg. Why? What's the matter? Asked Clover. Is someone hurt? Inquired Elsie, startled at Katie's agitated looks. No, not hurt, but poor Missus Ash. Is in such trouble, Mrs. Ash. It should be explained, was a widow, who had come to Burnet some months previously, and had taken a pleasant house, not far from the cars. She was a pretty, ladylike woman, with a particularly graceful, appealing manner, and very fond of her own child. A little girl. Katie and Papa both took a fancy to her at once, and the families had grown neighbourly and intimate 
in a short time. I'll tell you all about it in a minute, went on Katie. But first, I must find Alexander and send him off to meet Papa and beg him to hurry home. She went to the head of the stairs as she spoke and called, Debbie! Katie gave her direction and then came back again to the room where the other two were sitting. I must explain as fast as I can, for I've got to go back. You know that Mrs. Ash's little nephew is here for a visit, don't you? Yes, he came on Saturday. Well, he was ailing all day yesterday, and today he is worse. And she's afraid it is scarlet fever. Luckily, Amy was spending the day with the Athens yesterday, so she scarcely saw the boy at all. And as soon as her mother became alarmed, she sent her out into the garden to play and hasn't let her come indoors since. So she can't have been exposed to any particular danger yet. I went by the house on my way down the street and there sat the poor little thing all alone in the garden with her dolly in her lap looking so disconsolate. I spoke to her over the fence and Mrs Ash heard my voice and opened the window and called to me. She said Amy had never had the fever and that the very idea of her having it frightened her to death. She is such a delicate child, you know. Oh, poor Mrs. Ash, cried Clover. I'm so sorry for her. Well, Katie, what did you do? I hope I didn't do wrong, but I offered to bring Amy here. Papa won't object. I'm almost sure. Why, of course he won't. Well, I'm going back now to fetch Amy. Mrs. Ash is to let Ellen, who hasn't been in the room with the little boy, pack a bag full of clothes and put it out on the steps. And I shall send Alexander for it by and by. You can't think how troubled poor Mrs. Ash was. She couldn't help crying when she said that Amy was all she had left in the world. She was so relieved when I said that we could take Amy. You know, she has a great deal of confidence in Papa. Yes, and in you too. Where will you put Amy to sleep, Katie? What do you think would be best? In Dory's room? I think she'd better come in here with you and I'll go into Dory's room. She is used to sleeping with her mother, you know, and she would be lonely if she were left to herself. Perhaps that will be better, only 
It is a great bother for you, Clovey dear. I don't mind, responded Clover cheerfully. I rather like to change about and try a new room once in a while. It's as good as going on a journey, almost. She pushed aside the half-finished dress as she spoke, opened the drawer, took out its contents, and began to carry them across the entry to Dory's room, doing everything with the orderly deliberation that was characteristic of whatever Clover did. Her preparations were almost complete before Katie returned, bringing with her little Amy Ash. Amy was a tall child of eight with a frank, happy face and long light hair hanging down her back. She looked like the pictures of Alice in Wonderland. But just at that moment, it was a very woeful little Alice indeed that she resembled, for her cheeks were stained with tears and her eyes swollen with recent crying. Why, what is the matter? said Clover. Aren't you glad that you are coming to us? We are. Mama didn't kiss me goodbye, sobbed the little girl. She didn't come downstairs at all. She just put her head out the window and said, Goodbye, Amy. Be very good and don't make Miss Carr any trouble. And then she went away. I never went anywhere before without kissing Mama goodbye. Mama was afraid to kiss you for fear she might give you the fever, explained Katie, taking her turn as a comforter. It wasn't because she forgot. She felt worse about it than you did, I imagine. You know, the thing she cares for most is that you shall not be ill as your cousin Walter is. She would rather do anything than have that happen. As soon as he gets well, she will kiss you dozens of times. See if she doesn't. Meanwhile, she says in this note that you must write her a little letter every day and she will hang a basket by a string out the window and you and I will go and drop the letters into the basket and stand by the gate and see her pull it up. That will be funny, won't it? Shall I sleep with you? demanded Amy. Yes, in that bed over there. It's a pretty bed, pronounced Amy, after examining it gravely for a moment. Will you tell me a story every morning? If you don't wake up too early, my stories are always sleepy till seven o'clock. Let us see what Ellen has packed and then I'll give you some drawers of your own and we will put the things away. 
The bag was full of neat little frocks and underclothes, stuffed hastily in all together. Katie took them out, smoothing the folds with her fingers. As she lifted the last skirt, Amy, with the folds of her fingers, pounced on something that lay beneath it. It's Maria Matilda, she said. I'm glad of that. I thought Ellen would forget her and the poor child wouldn't know what to do. What a pretty face she has, said Katie, taking the doll out of Amy's hands. Yes, but not so pretty as Mabel. Miss Uffin says that Mabel is the prettiest child she ever saw. Look, Miss Clover, lifting the other door from the table where she had laid it, hasn't she got sweet eyes? She's older than Mary and Matilda, and she knows a great deal more. She's begun on French verbs. Not really. Which ones? Oh, only je t'aime, to aims. Il aime? You know, the same one that our class is learning at school. She hasn't tried any, but one that our class is learning. It is very stupid, and I have to scold her for that. Amy had quite recovered her spirits by this time. Are these the only doors you have? Oh, please, don't call them that, urged Amy. It hurts their feelings dreadfully. I never let them know that they are doors. They think that they are real children. Only sometimes, when they are very bad, I use the word for punishment. I've got several other children. There's old Ragaza. My uncle named her and she's made of rag. But she has such bad ruminatism that I don't play with her any longer. I just give her medicine. Then there's Effie Deems. She's only got one leg and Mopsa the fairy. She's a tiny one made out of china and Peg of Lincoln Veddy. But she doesn't count for she's come all to pieces. What very queer names your children have, said Elsie, who had come in during the enumeration. Yes, Uncle Ned named them. He's a very funny uncle, but he's nice. He's always so much interested in my children. There's Papa now, cried Katie, and she ran downstairs to meet him. Did I do right? She asked anxiously after she had told her story. Yes, my dear, perfectly right, replied Dr. Carr. I only hope Amy was taken away in time. I will go round at once to see Mrs. Ash and the boy. And, Katie, keep away from me when I come back and keep the others away till I have changed my coat. It seemed to the cars after a few days 
as if they had always had Amy in the house. Papa's daily visit to the sick room, their avoidance of him, till after he had changed his cloak. Amy's lessons and games, her dressing and undressing, the walks and the dropping of notes into the little basket seemed part of the system of things which have been going on for a long time and which everybody would miss should they suddenly stop. But they by no means suddenly stopped. Little Walter Ash's case proved to be a rather severe one and after he had begun to mend he caught cold somehow and was taken worse again. There were some serious symptoms and for a few days Dr. Carr did not feel sure how things would turn. He did not speak of his anxiety at home, but kept silence and a cheerful face, as doctors know how to do. Only Katie, who was more intimate with her father than the rest, guessed that things were going gravely at the other house and she was too well trained to ask questions. The threatening symptoms passed off, however, and little Walter slowly got better, but it was a long convalescence and Mrs. Ash grew thin and pale before he began to look rosy. There was no one on whom she could devolve the charge of the child. His mother was dead, his father, an overworked businessman, had barely time to run up once a week to see about him. There was no one at his house but a housekeeper, in one Mrs. Ash had no full confidence. So, the good aunt denied herself the sight of her own child and devoted her strength and time to Walter. And nearly two months passed, and still little Amy remained at Dr. Carr's. She was entirely happy there. She had grown very fond of Katie and was perfectly at home with the others. Phil and Johnny, who had returned from her visit to Cecie, were by no means too old or too proud to be playfellows to a child of eight. And with all the older members of the family, Amy was a chosen pet. Debbie baked turnovers and twisted cinnamon cakes into all sorts of fantastic shapes to please her. Alexander would let her drive if she happened to sit on the front seat of the carry all. Dr. Carr was seldom so tired that he could not tell her a story. Elsie invented all manner of charming games for the hour before bedtime. Clover made wonderful capes and bonnets for Mabel and Maria Matilda. And Katie, Katie did all sorts of things. 
Katie had a peculiar gift with children, which is not easy to define. Some people possess it, and some do not. It cannot be learned; it comes by nature. She was bright and firm, and equable all at once. She both amused and influenced them. There was something about her which excited the childish imagination, and always they felt her sympathy. Amy was a tractable child and intelligent beyond her age, but she was never quite so good with anyone as with Katie. She followed her about like a little lover. She lavished upon her certain special words and caresses, which she gave no, to no one else, and would kneel on her lap, patting Katie's shoulders with her soft hand, and cooing up into her face like a happy dove. For a half hour together, Katie laughed at these demonstrations. But they pleased her very much. At last, the long convalescence ended. Walter was carried away by his father, and an army of workpeople was turned into Mrs. Ash's house. Plaster was scraped and painted, wallpapers torn down, mattresses made over, and clothing burned. At last. Doctor Carr pronounced the premises in a sanitary condition, and Mrs. Ash sent for her little girl to come home. Amy was overjoyed at the prospect of seeing her mother, but at the last moment she clung to Katie and cried, as if her heart would break. "I want you too," she said. "Oh." If Doctor Carr would only let you come and live with me and Mama, I should be so happy. I shall be so lonely. Nonsense! cried Clover. Lonely with Mama and those poor children of yours, who have been wondering all these weeks what has become of you. They'll want a great deal of attention at first, I'm sure. Medicine and new clothes. And whippings, all manner of things. You remember, I promised to make a dress for Effie Deans, out of that blue and brown plaid, like Johnny's Balmoral. I mean to begin it tomorrow. Oh, will you? Forgetting her grief, lovely. She will be so pleased, for she's never had a new dress. Consoled by the prospect of Effie's satisfaction, Amy departed quite cheerfully, and Mrs. Ash was spared the pain of seeing her only child in tears on the first day of their reunion. But Amy talked so constantly of Katie, and seemed to love her so much that it put a plan into her mother's head. Which led to important results.
Sadly, all good things must come to an end, so I bid you good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite.